visualize me in a particular role. I visualize the situation, no matter whether I've talked to the director or not. I don't know what the sets look like. I don't know anything. But when I'm reading a story, I create all that stuff in my head for myself uh, so that my reality of what's going on is very vivid. And it's something that I can actually palpably feel, taste, and sense while I'm doing it. Uh, and that's just before I do it. Uh, and I don't necessarily ever do lines aloud until I get to the set and I do the first rehearsal. It's generally the first time I hear the lines out loud. I read them in my head and I say it in my head, but I never vocalize them. And when I'm on a golf course and I'm looking at a shot, it's pretty much the same thing. I can look at the clubs, I can look at the distance and see the shot that I want to hit. I can see if I want to hit a draw, I can see if I want to hit a fade, I can see if the wind's going to move the shot a certain way and I'll select a club that allows me to do that particular thing. And I take a practice swing, I don't hit the ball, which is essentially like me not saying the lines but saying them in my head but not saying them aloud. And then when I address the ball is the first time that I'm actually going to put what I visualized into, I guess, a real situation or the reality of it. Um, unlike acting, uh, it doesn't always work out 100%. Um, but if, if I do all the things that I know, it's like knowing stage left, stage right, upstage, downstage, uh, dominant dominant positions, subservient position, um, the attitude that needs to happen, I can execute a shot pretty much the very same way. If my hands move in concert with my arms and my body turns the way that I normally turn as opposed to try and do more than I necessarily need to do, you know, sometimes your body will say, you really need to hit this hard, but my mind always says you really don't need to hit it hard because this is the club that's going to get you to that distance. Don't worry about the wind. Don't worry about how wet the grass is. Just hit the shot that you normally hit and you'll succeed. But somewhere between getting the club to the top and getting it back to the bottom, some little voice pops in and goes, you really need to hit this hard. And you try and do that. And every time that happens, I don't succeed. It seems like the biggest enemy on the golf course is walking around with you every day of your life. For me, my experience. What, yourself? Yeah. Yeah, always. Is that why golf is fascinating to you, do you think? Golf is fascinating to me because it's not a team sport. It's, it's nobody playing defense. It's nobody affecting the way the ball flies or what I do. And the measure of failure or or success lie with me. And I'm an only child, and that's great. Because I hated team sports because of that. You know, you lose a game, it's because so-and-so dropped the ball, or you didn't catch it, or, or you didn't make a hit, or you missed the shot, or you, your guy scored too many points, you know. So for me, golf is a perfect, perfect game.
because I get to take responsibility for everything that happens, and I'm okay with that. Would you say that you're a spiritual person, right? I guess. Well, I, I'm just reading. You, you said you you said that. Yeah, I pray every day. Yeah. Would you say golf is a spiritual game? Yeah. I mean, you have to find a way to be comfortable in the elements. Um, I've had very bad games when I'm not comfortable with the elements, like I just said about rain. Um, I've been in Scotland playing when it was raining sideways. I had two wets, two rain suits on, and just cold and miserable. And all I could think about was getting back to the hotel and taking a shower. It was not about making the next shot. It was like, okay, I'm going to hit the next shot because that's going to move the ball that way and it's going to get us inside quicker. I'm not trying to, you know, make par. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying to get off the golf course. So, yeah, uh, it's important when you get there that you feel good about the day. Um, it's even important that you feel good about how you look, you know, that you put on some clothes that make you feel comfortable, that, other guys are looking at you going, wow, that's nice. You know, all that's important. Or you got on some cool shoes that nobody else has got on, you know, or some shoes that are comfortable and not pinching your foot. So um, the spirit of everything around you, you know, being out there and, and, and not worrying about whether it's going to rain or not worrying about how hard the wind is blowing, but enjoying the wind and accepting the challenge of it. Uh, so, yeah, you have to get into the spirit of the day when you get out there immediately. You know, or even playing with somebody that you don't necessarily like playing with that often. I try I try and avoid that religiously, but every now and then somebody will bring a guy along that you don't necessarily like, but that guy's that guy's friend and you play with him anyway. Yeah, that's it, playing with friends is a big thing for me, you know. Yeah. Would you say that um I'm going to try this. You can hate this question if you want, but how are you guys doing? Is everything good with you guys? Okay, cool. Yeah? Oh, no, I think just hang for another few minutes. So I, you really might hate this, and it's okay, but on the golf course, what is the path of the righteous man? <laughs> path of the righteous man on the golf course is to not play against the people that you're playing with. You're always playing the golf course. And my mantra is, if I play as well as I can play, these guys can't beat me. It doesn't matter what they do. It, all, it, all, it only matters what I do. So then, because you said you're a competitive person. I, I read that. Mm -hmm. I am very competitive. I take mistakes way too seriously. What is that? And, and you know what I mean? Like, like, okay, here's the first question. What do you do when you hit two bad shots in a row? Make sure I hit a good shot third next time. You don't get upset. Huh? Did you ever? Gotta let it go. Yeah. I don't hold on to bad shots because you can't take them back. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, some guys do do-overs and you just kind of go, really? You know, you still got to play that ball or they'll just play the other ball. I mean, there's just one guy that I play with. That I just play with him because... He's an okay guy, and I enjoy talking to him while we play, but if he hits a bad shot, he just drops another ball and hits another shot and keeps going. Uh, but... George? No. You talking about Lopez? Yeah. No, G-Lo doesn't do that. He doesn't do even that. do that. No, G-Lo doesn't do that. But when you hit a bad shot, 
you can spend time figuring out why you did it, or you can stand there and take practice swings, and uh, it's still not going to help you because you've already hit that shot. So all you can do is go play the next shot. And if you hit the next shot badly, it's because you're still thinking about that shot. But if you have the mechanics, that's why you have mechanics. It's like going to the theater. There are days when you go to the theater when you don't really feel like doing the play. But if you learn the mechanics of what you do, like I said, upstage, downstage, you cross in the right place, you understand the emotional intent of what's going on in that particular moment, you can do it. Eventually, you lose yourself in the audience response to it and the story, and before you know it, you feel like doing it. You're just doing it. Once you hit a bad shot, you got to let that bad shot go because if you go to the next shot and you hit a great shot, then you've overcome what just happened and you still had a chance to make par. Sometimes you don't have an opportunity to make par. Accept it. Make bogey or the lowest number you can make and move on. Now you can tell yourself, okay, now I got to make three birdies. That's undue pressure. But all you got to do is go to the next hole and say, okay, I hit a good shot here. If I had a good drive here and I get to this particular place on the green, I know I can make a putt. Or if you look at the flag and go, okay, that's not a birdie flag. But everybody doesn't know that. You know, it takes a while to learn course management. You know, everybody thinks every flag is a birdie flag when you first start. You know, you go, I got to make this, I got to do that. But you take what the course gives you. It's like I talk to a lot of my friends that don't play golf, who don't even know that, oh, all right, they move the flag every day. You know, they said, how do you go to the same golf course every day and play? And if you get tired of that, I said, well, it's a different golf course every day. You know, no, it's the same golf course. I said, well, no, some days it's windy, some days it's wet, some days it's dry, some days, you know, flags on the right, flags on the left. What do you mean flags on the left? They move the flag every day. It's in the front, it's in the back. You have to approach the hole a different way. I mean, every day the psychology of the golf course changes. That's why I play the golf course and I don't play the guys I'm playing. The golf course is just sitting there every day waiting on you to show up, see what you got. So would you, um, you, uh, you seem to have an easy time maybe because in golf you, you really seem to just sort of accept the fate. Is, yeah. that, is that true? Yeah. I mean, there's some days you go out there, you just not, I mean, I've had days where I didn't make par. Yeah, it <laughs> just once those days. It's like no par out there. There's no hole out there I can make par of. So one of the things that I want to do in the film is uh, I want to look at PGA Tour players. You know, I'm, I'm working with the PGA Tour mm -hmm. in conjunction with them, and we've been filming a lot with Jason Day actually, who oh, cool. uses meditation directly mm -hmm. and visualization. You know, when he won the Farmers this year, he admitted to me on camera that he had spent weeks just picturing the trophy mm -hmm. in his hands. Okay. And that just blew me away because I'm I'm a pretty spiritual guy, you know, uh, all the all, you know, mm -hmm. probably like you, you know, um, and you know, I, I just I just really want to have the chance to look at you know these great golfers who can play lights out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, three over. Doesn't mm -hmm. that you know what I mean? Like, do you have any theories about why that is? Or I mean, it's kind of obvious, but. But why do we, you know, why, why can't we just close it? You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, I have no answer for that. I've been looking at, uh, what's this kid's name? Uh, Molinari. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, same thing. Friday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday for 12 holes and then, whew, yeah. you know, like, nah. You know, same yeah. thing. I don't know. I sit there and watch them. And you reach a point where you watch, you wait for the collapse. Right. And so, when is he going to collapse? Oh, you hit the ball in the water. Oh, okay, there's water here. Okay, here it comes. It's almost like that's mm -hmm. the only reason to watch golf on Sunday, is like waiting for the collapse. Well, I like to watch guys succeed. Yeah. But I, I won't say I like to see them collapse. I watch them collapse and try and see how they respond to that mistake. Or if, you know, their shoulders slump. You know, Phil, Phil always had a slump I mean, back in the day. When he was in contention, in contention, he would hit that one shot or take that one chance. That was a bad chance, and his shoulders would slump. I go, okay, he's done. And Tiger would hit that ball in the woods or somewhere, and he'd walk up to the ball, and you could see in his mind, now what can I do to impress the crowd? And it was a whole difference of how that was going to happen. This is, this is how legends are made. I'm going to make my legend with this shot right here. And he make that shot. You know, and it was great. But, you know, it's kind of like I watch golf now and I realize that there are all these kids who have the same skill set. You know, it's like when Palmer, Nicholas, Player, Trevino, all those guys played. Any given guy could win on any given week because they all had the same skill set. And then when Tiger showed up, Tiger had this different skill set than everybody. So he started changing the game in a very interesting sort of way. And then he started to dominate and win all these tournaments. And, I mean, I like watching McElroy and all these kids, but when Tiger was McElroy's age, he didn't miss cuts. There's something in that. You know, and it's not just a skill set thing. It's a thing here that, I mean, some weekends they don't want to play. Or some weekends they'll get there or they'll have a bad day and decide, okay, I'm not gonna I'm just not gonna cut it this week, you know, and they don't, you know, but the fire to overcome that, I don't see it, you know, the way I saw it, you know, in those guys. Uh and I guess realizing that they have these kinds of ups and downs, like Fowler. You know, I love watching Ricky Fowler play, and I'm I'm glad he finally won. You know what they co they consider a big tournament, or during that week when the guy's writing an article about the best golfer that's never won. It's like, dude, who are you? You know, it's like it's like me listening to Frank Navalo some weekends. I'll go, how long is a Frank Navalo highlight reel? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it was PGA Tour players voted anonymously that he was the most overrated. <laughs> That is the best thing to me, because then he literally came back three days later. Yeah, and it's like, okay. And then he, you know, does what he does, and then he comes over here, and he does quite well in that Irish Open. Hard-ass little golf course, you know, nasty little golf course. Rory he did great, you know. And yeah, a uh, course that he grew up playing, theoretically, you know. But um, I don't know. Uh, week to week with those guys, um, I mean, you watch them, and, oh, oh, okay, Spieth's the best putter on tour now. Okay, uh, but, shit, he didn't win last week, you know, and he was close, but, you know, these other guys. And then um, Rose, Rose is an interesting player. I watched Justin since he was a kid when he started, you know, and I was out, I was coming over here playing, so I saw him a lot more than most people did. And then, you know, all of a sudden he was the, 
most overrated European golfer that had never won, and he finally wins, you know, a major, and now he's always around and he's in contention, you know. But I don't know what you say about that. Rose is an interesting cat because he works with this lady named Julie Ellian, and she is she was Phil's mental coach for a while, and she is Phil who Phil Mickelson. He had a mental coach. Yeah, really. They all do. And off the record, she was someone else's mental coach, but I can't tell okay. you right now. All right, all right. But like, and literally, she's the kind of person where she's like, he'll be on the tee, and he's like, how do you, she's like, how do you feel? And he's like, I don't know, I feel like hitting the ball. And she's like, how do you feel? Like she's. She's like, it's almost like a joke, but it's real and it's working for Justin. Okay. Okay, so one to more. A, to a point. To a, to a point, sure. Yeah. I mean, he won, you know, a big, big tournament a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, do you On a hard ass golf course in Philadelphia that I used to hate. You, know, it's like, you play there? Yeah. What, you know, one of the things, because I came to golf just five years ago, I was 30, and I, mm -hmm. and I had hated golf my entire life having never played it. Right? Oh, okay. And so I knew better. And a lot of people like that. I would say it's a sad how many people are like that because it gets such a bad rap. Yeah. You know, when I when I when I finally got out there and like played and I fell in love with it, my biggest like uh, sense of excitement was in the fact that the people weren't what I thought they were gonna be and that it was a much more egalitarian sport, like yeah. from its origins. Yeah. Is that something that you you know, I've heard you play like public courses. Do you still do that? Yeah. Yeah. I still go to Woodley and, you know, Van Eyes and yeah, I mean that was that was that was where I lived when I started playing. I was in the valley and I was two blocks from from Woodley Lakes, uh, Van Nuys. That was a par three executive course. Right across the street. Well, kind of further up. Little, yeah, but, but I played that a lot. Once I found out that the majority of the golf game is played from 180 yards in. I'd spend four days a week going to the par three course. I played that course all day, every day. I never hit, I didn't hit driver until I went to the driving range. In fact, I couldn't hit a driver for first year I played, so I hit three wood a lot, you know. But I played par three courses way more than I played real golf courses for at least a year, a year and a half. And then when I finally started playing on golf courses, then my wife sent me to golf school, which was awesome. I went to, I'm a proud graduate of Pebble Beach Academy. Um, and uh, I went up there and I spent a week, you know, drilling, doing drills with this guy, Dan Pascarelli. was awesome. Great golf coach. Uh, I would do drills in the morning and we would go play Pebble or we would go play, you know. Um, 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 Spyglass. Spy, well, Spyglass was where the school was. That's, that's like my favorite golf course. That's a nice it's, course. It's a hard-ass golf course yeah. and it's like so many different kinds of courses. But we would play Spyglass and we'd play Pebble and then I'd go back and he would drill me on the things I totally screwed up when we were out there playing, you know. And uh, I became better, you know. And like you, I came to golf late. And I was, I was almost 50 when I started playing. So, yeah. Um, finish the sentence. Golf is... The hardest game I've ever played. Great. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things for me about golf is that the better I get, the harder the game gets. Mm -hmm. it, and, it, and it just sort of, it, it, it's almost defeating in and of itself. Yeah, well, you can go from a 20, a 20 to a 12, a 12 to a 7, 
kind of like that, you know, in almost two years if you dedicate yourself to playing. To get from seven to scratch, extremely difficult. It's funny you say that because I am a seven. Yeah, yeah. and, and to I get, to, I can't you know, get, I can't get. And to go from scratch to plus two, it, it, it takes time. I mean, you got to go out there and practice and practice and practice and practice. I mean, it's like pros hit, those guys said pros hit a thousand balls a day. You got to hit, you know, five, six hundred balls a day to go from a seven to a five. I mean, you got to learn how to not chip close, but chip in. You know, you got to learn how to not just get out of a bunker, but get the ball into the hole or close to the hole. You know, all those little things that keep you from making bogey, that help you make par or help you make birdie. Those are the things that, you know, get you from that particular thing to that particular thing. It's like there's a group of kids at my golf course that we call the little pros. And on any given day, any of those kids can shoot 66, you know, and they do. And they're like plus twos and plus threes, but they've been playing since they were like three and four years old. A couple of them play on the Canadian tour. One kid's over and playing on the Asian tour. One kid just gave golf up and started, started working because, I mean, even though he was a plus two, he was out there in these qualifying things and he couldn't qualify, you know. Every year, you know, they go to Q school and get that close, you know. I mean, there there are a lot of guys, there are a lot of plus twos on the planet. Now, you know, like, you know, the, I don't know if it's still true, but people say that 95% of the people that play golf can't break 100, you know. And then you get into that 5%, there's like, okay, out of that 5%, only – you know, so many percentile of those people break 80, and then so many people break 70, and then, you know, you, you get whatever. But people still go out there and play, you know. And I know a bunch of those guys that can't break 100. I mean, they all got, like, 20 holding ones. You know, it, everybody I know that's, like, you know, a five and below has had, like, two, maybe, or one, or none. Uh-huh. And there's a strange thing. All right, Precision Pro, everybody. Precision Pro Golf makes amazing golf rangefinders that are the perfect combination of price and performance. Um, listen, whenever I see someone on the range or wherever I go, if I see someone with a Precision Pro rangefinder, I see a paisano, a countryman, someone who's not interested in basically overpaying for a product. Same the same way I feel about vice balls. You know, it's like it's just like. We cut out the middleman, we make a great product, and we get it out to you so that you can basically afford it. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I just, I would rather have uh, something that's good value, right? Uh, right now, the NX7 Pro is on sale. Whoa, $40 off. Go get it. $40 off. That's a good deal. What's even better is that you can get an additional $10 off for being a listener of the podcast when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's $50 off. I mean, jeez. I'm going to go get some. I've said that already. Over 800 verified reviews from real golfers can't be wrong. Here's what Ty had to say about his NX7 Pro rangefinder. He goes, uh, while waiting on the tee box in my last round, there was a hawk flying overhead. (laughs) 
The NX7 Pro is so fast and accurate that I was able to measure the distance to the Hawk while it was moving. 178.4 yards, if you're curious. So that's about a, that's an easy six, hard seven. Um, if the NX7 Pro Golf Rangefinder can measure a Hawk, it can definitely measure a flag. That's been my experience. Um, well, also Ty's experience. Uh, go to PrecisionProGolf.com and use coupon code ERIC, E-R-I-K, to get $50 off the NX7 Pro Rangefinder today. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. All right, one more read, folks. Adidas. Over 5 million pieces of plastic are floating in our oceans, which over time get broken down, making it easy for sea life to ingest, ultimately affecting our own food chain. So it is your problem. It's not just a world problem. It's you. It affects you. Adidas is working with Parlay to prevent plastic entering our oceans and transform it into high-performance sportswear. Mm-hmm. Shoes is coming soon. Just hold on. Hold your hats, folks. I'm not even done with the ad. Stop trying to figure out what I'm going to say. Adidas is spinning the problem into what? A solution. The thread into a thread. I don't know what that means. It's written here. It says the thread into a thread. I don't know who wrote this. Adidas Golf is bringing eco-innovation to the golf course in the form of a special edition shoe. All right, this is legit, actually. This is the first time the Parlay shoe has been uh, a golf shoe. I've had it in um, form of a running shoe. I mean... Look, it's a it's a sick shoe that serves a purpose. Okay, that's where you get it. Um, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe. Oh, looks they already wrote it for me. The first ever golf shoe made from pla- uh, recycled. Oh no, it's not called recycled. It's called upcycled. I don't know what that is. I feel like I should probably Google that. Upcycled plastic waste that was intercepted, like Jason Bourne, from the beaches and coastal communities before reaching the ocean. Dang, I didn't realize this is Jason Bourne's golf shoe. Intercepted. I mean, the, I'm the golf guy, but I also love football. Who doesn't love a classic interception? Especially when it's Jason Bourne saving planet Earth. Entire upper of the shoe is made with threads spun. It's also a DJ. Amazing. From the upcycled plastic waste. My phone's ringing. Andrew Marler. Hang on. All right. Well, that was a 20-minute phone call, but you have no idea. It just went by like that. Um, Anyway, the Tour 360 XT Parlay, the first ever golf shoe made from upcycled plastic. I already read this because it's got the intercepted line. Intercepted from beaches and coastal communities in a world before reaching the ocean. The entire upper of the shoe is made from thread spun from upcycled plastic waste. Built is built as the Tour 360 XT, you still get great traction and stability. I feel like, what's that line from Taken? I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> they will take you. Available starting June 10th at adidas.com. And for those headed to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, a select number of pairs will be sold on site. Get into it, folks. All right, back to the show. 
Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So you've never tried meditation off or on the golf course? Off the golf course? Yeah. Yeah. On the golf course? No. Have you done prayer on the golf course? Like real, like, like, have you ever found yourself connecting with that kind of spirit or anything like that? Whatever. Yeah, when I wanted to get out of the cold-ass rain in Scotland, I was like, God, please just let this be over. Can they well, call it? Just call it. I've only, been, like? I've only been in one tournament where I had to mark my ball and leave the golf course. At the old course? At the old course, yeah. What was that like, that, that you know, first time you played with Tiger? Well, first time I played with Tiger was the old course. And that's when the Dunhill was a different format. They had two players from each country representing. And you played in, I played with Tiger the first day and John Daly the next day. They were representing the country. And I was with Wayne Huizinga and his wife. <laughs> we were the, we completed the foursome. In fact, the day I played with Tiger, first time I, first time I played St. Andrews, I shot 78. And I was like a 15. But he said, follow me. So I tried to hit the ball as close to the spots that he hit his or in the direction. Never went in a bunker. Because he, he actually played St. Andrews, I don't know how many years without going in a bunker. And never went in a bunker. And I shot 78. And he shot even par. And he was like, I'll never give you any more strokes than that. I was like, come on. This is an accident. You know, it was a total accident. It was what, great. what was your take on the old course? Um, well, <laughs> to me, come on, it's like this is a golf course. I mean, I've been playing in America. You know, soft greens, beautiful, lush, da da da. And I think the day before, when I got here, we went to what was that? Lock Lomond. So the guy that I was playing with, the guy that invited me over, had a helicopter pick us up from the airport, and we flew from there to Loch Lomond and played. And you, did you play there? No, I only played the old course. Loch Lomond's awesome. But, um, you know, it's a lush golf course, too. So by the time we got to St. Andrews, and you know, it's like, okay, this is Lynx golf. Uh, so it was um, shocking. It looked like a war zone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sam Sneed said, hey, look at that old abandoned golf course <laughs> before he saw it, you know, as he saw it the first time. Yeah. You, you know, some people, I interviewed the greenskeeper there, and he seems to believe, along with a lot of other people, that it was designed by God. That's possible. I mean, they didn't put the bunkers there. The bunkers just kind of showed up. Really? Until, so Tom what about Morris, the, until Tom Morris came along. So what about the new course? I don't know about the new course. You didn't play the new course? No, I only... We it's right next to it. Up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hit some balls on the new course. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, 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 it's different golf. You know, the first time, first time I, I played Carnoustie was the Vanderbilt year. And that was the only time I'd ever been on a golf course that I actually wanted to quit playing. Somewhere around 12. I was like, this is impossible. I was just frustrated. You know, I'd used the 
every ball in my bag seemed like, you know, it's like impossible. Now, I love that course. I love playing it. You know, it's the it's the greatest golf challenge on the planet, I think. Yeah, it's like, okay, I finally learned to manage it, you know. And I played with, um, who did I play with? Um, whoever my pro was that year. We were playing, it was raining, it was windy, it was vicious. We played the par five, my pro hit driver, driver three wood on the par five. And did not reach. Still out of wedge, still out of chip. <laughs> yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. Would you rather have a good shot, would you rather a bad shot with a good result or a good shot with a bad result? I'll take a bad shot with a good result. I mean, golf, and, you know, there's a bit of luck involved. I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, you have to have luck, luck to, to, to get around and make a good score. Because it's all about, you know, the ball, the ball has touched the ground at some point. And once the ball touches the ground, it's all out of your hand. You know, the ball's got to roll a certain way. It might be a, an acorn there. It could be a pebble, a worm. Once it starts rolling, it's in the hands of the gods. You know, unless you drop it, boom, right down in the hole. I've only seen that happen once. And that was at the old course, too. I was playing with David Howell. We got to 18. That same day, I dreaded I wanted it to be over. Wind was howling. He had his second shot on 18, high shot. It was just hanging in the air. Wind had it, and it dropped straight down into the hole. Like, <laughs> all you heard was the flag, and the crowd went crazy. That was his second shot? Yeah. He was like 150 out or 60? No idea. That's crazy. But it just dropped out of the sky right down into the hole. Wow. Yeah. What a great, like, stage. Yeah. For that to happen. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about the old course is, is that when you come home, and maybe you have this experience being an actor used to a stage. You come home and it's like an amphitheater of just like, you know, you know, there's like 10 people, but it's not even about the people. It's more about this like historical kind of stage around you of like where golf came from or something. Well, that's like if, you know, when you're in the tee box for the first time, you know, teeing off. The last shot I hit at St. Andrews is memorable to me because I shanked it dead out of bounds. I hit a beautiful drive. Shanked the ball dead out of bounds, looked up on a jumbotron, and they had a replay of me shanking the ball dead out of bounds, and these two ladies ducking, because I almost killed them. You're right, you said that it go into the street? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Just right in the street, and then my cell phone started going off. All my friends were sitting at home watching it done. I just refused to answer. What did they say? Nice shot. I didn't answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't answer. There's something about golf that's like that shared kind of. Um, you know, you know, it's like it's like if you were to escape from a sinking ship, the people that would never otherwise hang out yeah. are on this life raft, and they all become friends. Do you, do you ever find that in golf? Like you're just like, you get paired up with this random foursome, and you're talking to people. You have you have that sort of shared passion. You know, we know what it's like. Well, sure, but I mean that happens when I go, you know, to a public golf course, and I just go put my name on the list, and you know, why aren't you at your court? <laughs> you didn't go. You uh, missed your club style? I was like, no, man. I just wanted to play here today. Okay, just put me on the list. I'm on the waiting list. And then they'll pair me with some old ladies or, you know, some kids who will not say anything for like three holes. And then they'll finally go like, are you that guy? I know. What guy? <laughs> you, you know, the actor guy. No, I said, no, I'm the golfer guy today. Can we just play? Yeah, but can we? No, let's just play golf. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're not playing for anything. Let's just play. Yeah. 
Right. So I don't mind that. So I, I really like. So when you hit a bad shot, you literally how do you talk to yourself? How do you how do you avoid what basically everyone I from in my experience falls into, which is the. Uh, I have a friend who throws clubs. I have a couple friends who throw clubs. It's like, why are you doing that? You know, you, you're actually trying to do something that you really can't do. I've never seen you actually make a good chip shot. So when you miss that shot, why, do you, why, do you, why are you throwing away your five wood when you're, like, you're 240 yards from the green? You're trying to hit the green with a club that you can't hit the club, that you can't hit the green with, and now you're pissed off and you're throwing your club. It makes no sense. When I went to golf school, I finally got an explanation of the game that made sense to me. The guy said, golf's a game of mistakes, okay? Everybody's trying to do this particular thing. The object of the game is to get the ball in a hole. So when you visualize your shot and you hit it, did you hit it exactly where you wanted to? No. He said, did you hit it anywhere near where you wanted to? Kind of, sort of. He said, okay, so you made a mistake, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay, so now you go to your next ball, you go to your ball, and you hit it again. Did you hit that ball where you exactly wanted to? Uh, no. So you made another mistake. So until you're actually hitting the ball to the exact spot and it stops in the exact place you wanted to, you made a mistake. You're out there making mistakes for 18 holes. Maybe, just maybe, somewhere in your 83 or your 78 strokes, you hit the ball exactly where you wanted to, and that's more than likely a putt because it went in the hole. Every, time, every other time, you totally made a mistake. So accept the fact that that's what you're going to do out here. What you're trying to do is minimize your mistakes from 20 to 25 yards into 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1 yard. When your mistake is within 5 yards of where you intended it to go, you're playing the game. But you made a mistake. I love that definition. That's really great. Um... What uh, you know, some some of the golf lessons for me have been terribly profound. Um, what? Why are you laughing? Hmm. Yeah, I just think that you know, ha having having sit literally scoffed at the game and not interested in playing, mm -hmm. to have it take such a big role in my life, and then yeah. to and your peace every day. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so, what are some of the lessons that golf has kind of offered you? That I mean, other than the stuff we've talked about, you know, as far as like accepting your mistakes and stuff like that. I mean, if that is the biggest one, then that's okay, but are there any others there? It's a hum it's, it's very humbling. You know, I mean, you get out there, there are, there are things that you know you can do, or, I mean, you have that day where you, I mean, I've gone out there and I've been on the verge of shooting under par. And I'm on, I'm on 17 and I make another birdie. So now I'm essentially two under par going in 18. All you got to do is make par. Something happens. Or somebody reminds you something happens. It's very humbling. Or what, you what go happens? out there the day before. Something happens. You just screw it up. Is, is it here? Is, it, is this where I get screwed no, up? Or it's here? always in there. Right. Yeah. So what, what do you say to yourself? 
I wasn't supposed to shoot on the part today. That's what you you can you can believe that. I got to put the score in. There's nothing else I can do about it. Well, nobody was in front of me. <laughs> nobody was playing defense. Right. Me, I played defense against myself. <laughs> I screwed it up. You know, it happens. Um, there are days, you know, I go out there and I I shoot lights out, and the next day I shoot ninety. Cause you just and there's just no no matter everything you know how to do to fix it, you can't do it. It just does not work. It's a very humbling game that way. It keeps you, you know, keeps you, keeps you, you know, working at it. And it, it's a game that makes you want to work at it. It's like I said, you, you know, when you get to five, if you want to be scratch, I mean, I don't have time to get to be a scratch golfer. I just don't have the time because I have to go to work. You know, I don't have six hours a day to go and practice. You know like the little pros that I play with, you know. That's what they do. I see them. They're out there, you know. They're on the greens. They get drawing, pulling strings here and moving, the, working on their putting stroke so that they won't miss anything outside six feet, whether it's curling left, right, right to left, or straight or downhill. They just knock them in. You know, we don't have that thing in here. There's something that, you know, pros don't mind hitting the ball three feet by the hole. We do. <laughs> You know, it's like, just watch the break when it goes by the hole. Just hit it back in the hole. But no, I mean, as soon as we hit it and we miss it, we go, uh-uh, instead of watching the ball. Yeah. And that's that thing. What do you think golf is like most? Like, you know, is it like, because sometimes I think of it like a puzzle or like um, kind of like a house of cards or a Rubik's Cube. Do you, do you have anything that you've kind of been like, ah, this is what it's like, you know, to maybe try to explain to someone who doesn't play or something? No. I don't liken it to anything other than other than what it is. Right. Like I said, you know, it's it's you and the ball. The ball is sitting there. All you got to do is move the ball a certain length in a certain direction. And it's up to you to do that. You know, nobody else's fault that you don't do it. And people don't get that. You know, people are like, yeah, but it's like, okay. Guys pick up drivers because they like hitting the ball a long way. Now, a person that's never played golf has no understanding of you saying, okay, I hit the ball 250 yards with my driver. Unless you say, that's two and a half football fields, dude. And you go, wow, yeah. And I remember when I first started playing, I was shooting diehard. And we were shooting at Yankee Stadium one day. So I took my driver with me because I wanted to hit a ball out of Yankee Stadium. And... The groundskeeper was like, you cannot hit a golf ball out of here. I'm like, why not? And he's like, do you realize how far you hit that thing? I'm like, yeah, like a home run. He's like, no, a home run is like a pitching wedge. I was like, what? He said, the average home run is 140, 160 feet. I go, oh, like yards, you mean? Yeah, 140 yards? He's like, yeah, three, you know, 260-something yards, 140. 240 yards. So you can hit a pitching wedge out of, out of Yankee Stadium. And if you hit a driver, it will be in somebody's apartment in the Bronx. It's like, oh, okay. So now when I watch guys hit home runs, it's kind of like, yeah, right. You know. But then, you know, um, Dustin Johnson will hit 340-yard drive, and you go, wow. That's like three-and-a-half football fields. 
No. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like a full subway station. Like yeah. Way bigger. Yeah. But so you were just describing golf, and you were making it sound pretty simple. Would you say that it's more simple or more complicated? Oh, it's way more complicated. I mean, it, a lot of things happen in a golf swing. I mean, golf swing looks simple. It's not. I mean, when people first start playing, like yourself, I mean, you, you got to get your feet right, and you get your grip right, and then once you got your grip right, you look, and then you take your golf club and lay it over your legs. Somebody lined up, Brian. When you take the club back, okay, is the club open? Is it closed as well? When it comes back, is it open? Do I close it too much? Am I coming over the top? Am I coming through here? This is complicated. A golf swing is extremely complicated, and it takes a while to get comfortable with just that particular movement to make it. And one of the funniest things for me, being on a golf course, is watching people's golf swings. I mean, we watch the PGA, and, you know, everybody's got sort of similar swing. But, you know, when you look at Furyk's swing, and, you, you know, you, you go, oh, figure eight up, that's a loop at the top. But it works for him, because that's what he's been doing. You know, I play with some guys that look like they're sitting on a chair, and they kind of like swing and look like they're going to fall over, and they fall backwards when they swing. And you kind of go, wow, how does he even make contact with a golf ball? So everybody plays the game their own way. Uh, and you accept that. You know, being on tour, I've played in enough tour events. You know, won the Bob Hope one year, me, George Lopez, and uh, Luke Wilson. Won the Bob Hope, and they were, like, pissed off. It was like, Bob never won. It was like, nobody told us we weren't supposed to win. But we played to win that year, and we won but um, when you're out there and you watch tour players play, it's a whole nother, you know, animal. It's like when I used to play with Daly and John's ball would go by our tee while we're sitting there. It's like, <laughs> ball sucking air. I don't know if my ball ever does that, you know. Or it's funny when people are watching you in the tee box and they're leaning over and you kind of, you do know I'm not on tour, right? And they kind of go, oh, come on, you know you can do it. And I've almost killed people, you know. I shanked the ball up. Right in the crowd. It happens. <laughs> but like Greg Norman said, I always swing at the gallery. That's what he used to tell me. What he said? He said, you know, if you don't know the distance and you're hitting the green, you know, hit it long in the gallery, get a good lie, and you might bounce off somebody and bounce back on the green. <laughs> There's a free drop in the stands, right? Yeah, and that's what, you know, I played Carnoustie with Jan Vanderbilt, and that's what he told me he was trying to do that day. So, <clears throat> would you say you're addicted to golf? Sure. Is that because golf's addictive or because you have an addictive personality? I do too, by I the way. I totally have an addictive personality. Okay. And the game is addictive. Do, do you <laughs> I quit drinking 14 years ago. Okay. Yeah, so, and I, and I read that you, you know, had the same experience. Mm -hmm. um, Alice Cooper, you know, a lot of other people. Alice is here. Is he really? He's going to play tomorrow? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, you you should have talked to him. He's in here somewhere. Let's go find him. <laughs> Sophia. Yeah, Alice is here. All right, cool. Well, I'll yeah, say hello to That's my guy. Yeah. yeah. He, he, you know, and because uh, he, he says across the board that golf is actually what, to some extent, got him sober, right? Sure. Yeah. Or keeps you sober. Keeps you sober. Yeah. What do you mean? The four or five hours I used to spend getting high or doing whatever I was doing, I spent on the golf course. 
Have you heard the one, what's the daily life of a rock star? Mm -mm. Two rounds of golf in an AA meeting? <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, because I, I think the reason why it's addictive for me is because it's like, I can never, you know, it's like I had that first round or whatever, and I hit a, I hit a pure three wood, not really knowing how to play, just baseball, really. Mm. And I hit a really good three wood. It hit the sweet spot. I mean, it sailed into the water. Mm. But, you know, and it's like ever since then, I've kind of been trying to get back to that free shot where it's just like, I'm, it's just beautiful. Do, do you have that? Is there, is there some part of the golf swing itself that's pleasurable? Um, you know, what, what is it that's addictive? Trying to get better. I guess the whole experience is totally addictive to me. Um, the challenge of of hitting not the perfect shot, but the shot that I want to hit. The sound, the pure sound of my club hitting the ball, not heavy, not thin, pure, almost silent. Um, watching the arc or the flight of the ball when I can follow it. That's doing exactly what I wanted it to do. Uh, seeing it land in that particular place that I wanted to land, and knowing I can make the next putt. Yeah, and I still like impressing the guys that I'm playing with, whether I'm playing with them or not. It's all a performance for me, you know. And mostly, it's a performance for myself. I, mean, I play by myself as much as I play with other people. You know, I go out there and just get in the cart and go. You know. Yeah, I also played the French horn in in high school, and you did too, right? Yeah. So do you think that, well, Kenny G is like, I'm fascinated by him. And I'm pretty convinced that... Yeah, but he can be real. I used to get in Kenny G's head all the time. Really? Yeah, when I played with him, I talked to him, he missed a shot. So do you think that, like, you know, because Kenny's really good. Do well, you, he practiced. Kenny had a golf now? studio in his house. He had a studio in his house? Yeah, he had, like, cameras around the room. He was shooting a swing, 360. He had a direct connection to like Butch Harmon and these other people, and they were sitting there TVs paying people to watch him swing in his house. Kenny was crazy addicted to golf. So you don't think it's the music connection? You, you don't think that there's something rhythmic that's going on in tempo? Because I seem to... I, sure, I, there is. I mean, there are a lot of musicians that play golf, but there are also a lot of actors who play golf. I mean, back... You know, have, have, have you ever watched those W.C. Fields golf movies? Yeah. Hilarious. You know, I mean, actors played back then, Bing Crosby, all those guys, you know, Hootie, Blowfish, I play with those guys. You know, they have a big tournament day after the Masters in right. Myrtle Beach every year. Uh, there are tons of musicians that play, but there are tons of other people. I mean, kickers, pitchers. I mean, all those smokes and all those guys are fucking lights out plus two golfers and shit. So, you know, because they have many days off. Right. Place kickers but are that's good not golfers. Because you just basically listed like the people who are at the top of their field in every possible, you know, whatever channel or focus. Mm -hmm. Why do they all come to golf? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some of those guys were exposed to golf as kids in, you know, certain stratas and the way they lived. I, mean, I had friends who were caddies when I was growing up that didn't play. You know, they just carry people's golf clubs. And I never would go to the Chattanooga Golf and Country Club and get a job doing anything. So it just wasn't something I was going to do. Um, the black golf course where I grew up was just a big open space of land. The teachers that I had played 
When we were out there playing football, they run us off the fairway because it was like the biggest open expanse of grass that we could find. It was manicured. <laughs> so we played football on it. That's beautiful, man. I mean, do you think I should ask you anything else or do you want to get out of here? I feel like we got a lot. I don't know. Oh, one more question. I, I, I remembered another one. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first time you saw a pro swing a club and what was your takeaway? I mean, in real life? Yeah, like when you were standing next to them. Hmm. Like, what, like, was there a profound moment there? Were you like, oh, I didn't realize X or whatever, you know what I mean? No, that wasn't a profound moment. Okay. Um, you know, I, I actually played with a bunch of guys. You know, when I first started playing, people just invited me to, <laughs> you know, little pro-amps. So I would go. And I couldn't play. Uh, I remember the first pro-am I played in, um... After the round was over, a guy asked who shot the worst today, and nobody put their hand up, and I did. And they gave me five golf lessons, you know, that, but they were at Chester A. Washington, so I had to drive across L.A. You know, and I went over there and met this guy, um, who was a golf pro, I guess, of sorts, you know. Smoked, drank the whole time he was talking to me. But, you know, he taught me the basics of a golf swing, which was cool. Um, and then um, I remember seeing Calvin Pete do a golf demonstration over there. And then um, I think one of the first golf tournaments, big golf tournaments I played in was the Bob Hope. And every day we got paired with different people. And, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to play with you know, people like Payne Stewart, who was like teaching the whole time you're out there. He was open, friendly. You know, he watch your head and tell you what you did wrong and tell you how to fix it. And he was he was great like that. You know, so I enjoyed meeting him. And uh, I remember playing at St. Andrews and having a really really awful round once. And um, I went to the range afterwards, which is something I very seldom do. I went to the range afterwards because I was kind of trying to figure out what was wrong. And I heard somebody go, "So what are you trying to fix?" And I looked up and it was VJ, and he spent like an hour fixing my swing, which was awesome. He's a sweet guy. Yeah. Um, okay, then uh, have, you ever, have you ever played the Compton Par 3? The Compton Par 3? No, what is that? Dude, there's a Par 3 in Compton. Get the fuck out of here. Where? I, I don't, it's like, it's like, I can Google it. It's like right off the 110. The Compton Par 3. It just sounds like an adventure, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What's the name of that course? It's just, no, it's literally called Compton Par 3 Golf Course. Compton it's in Par my 3 Golf Course. I've searched course. it so really? many times. It's uh, right I used off to the play at this place out at Somerset. Wow. I used to play at this place out by, what was it, Sunrise what? or some shit? It's right south of the 105. Wow. Down <laughs> I just feel like that would be so like that that would that's like my favorite idea of golf kind of is like and did you know that there's a golf course in a prison in Louisiana? They, they built it in Louisiana. They built it the the they built it for the guards so that they would be around the course on their <laughs> days off in case of an emergency. Uh -huh. And so the prisoners maintain it. Really. And I just want to go there and be like, because I ha I would imagine that some of the prisoners obviously have never played golf. Of course. But 
probably have grown to have some type of affection for the game just in taking care of it and like the privilege of being out there, I would think. Yeah. Well, Donald Trump's golf course in West Palm Beach runs by a prison, so those motherfuckers yell at you when you're out there playing. Yeah. It's a six! What the fuck, why are you running? They, they, uh, they uh, yell shit at you while you're out there playing. Go, I'm out here, dude. You're in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they watch people play golf out there. It's kind of crazy. They probably love it. Yeah. Yeah. An Indy 500, that course. I've been there. Pete Dye. Do you play it? I played it, yeah. It's a little distracting. Yeah. There's race cars just going by your head, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 I interviewed Pete Dye, and uh, he's so funny, man. He was just like, he was like, honestly, my favorite thing is just taking care of grass. Like, that was the thing he loved the most. And you know, his wife was the person who came up with the island green and sawgrass. Really? She was like, there was an empty pit of mud, and he was like, I don't know what to do here. And she was like, let's make a little island green in the shape of a heart. Have you noticed that it's the shape of a heart? Yeah. I didn't even notice that until like this week yeah. or whatever, the, you know, April. I feel like we're done, man. I feel, I feel okay. like we got everything. So where do you play in New York? What do uh, you play in New York? Baltistrol. Oh, really? Yeah, you played there? Wow. Yes, I have. That's a nice course. Yeah, I belong to... Uh... But I live in L.A. Oh, okay. Yeah, I live in uh, Los Feliz. Oh, get yeah. out of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wilshire. Wilshire's where I play in L.A. Oh, so yeah. you, you ever play Mountain Gate? I haven't yet. Yeah, come I've on, been, play. like, needing to go play there. Well, come up and play with me. I want to. Yeah, that's my you, spot. Uh, did you Is ever it? have a good game at St. Andrews? Maybe yeah. a lot of bad games there. No, 78, <laughs> awesome. Awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 78, you don't want to go. That, yeah. You're done. You're <laughs> yeah. good there. No, I've, Sorry. I've, I've actually played well at St. Andrews, no problem. But, uh, yeah, I know the course well. When it's not raining, I don't mind. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's my course, Mountain Gate. I can get That's there it. like nine minutes from my house. And that one's perfect because you got like three nines, right? Yeah. So you can just kind of do it any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the move. Yeah, it works out. I've seen it from the freeway, and I've been meaning to get there, but I mean, Los Feliz is far. That's how I joined, because I saw it on, off the freeway. Like, what's that? <laughs> Gonna make this happen. Yeah, when I was living in the valley. I'm like, hey, good job right. this place. That's Dude, cool. thank you so much, man. Oh, my pleasure. I'm seriously, thank really you. appreciate it. And uh, oh, I'm looking up. forward to tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.